You're listening to Book Stories, a podcast about bookstores, the books inside them, and book culture. I'm your host, Vic Singh. Please subscribe to Book Stories on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And thanks for helping us spread the word. This is a conversation I had with Tina Apelles and Andrea Richards, who are the editorial and creative team behind a wonderful book called Dear Seller. I reached out to both of them after hearing their story about this project on the radio. I went through a similar scenario, fashioning a letter to woo a seller to let me buy their house. The stories in the books are diverse, varied, and interesting. The two of them said something in the conversation that really resonated. They called this project a love story. And at the risk of sounding overly cliche, home is where the heart is. So it makes perfect sense. It was a great discussion, and I'm excited to share it with you. So here it is, my conversation with Tina and Andrea. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Of course. So the book is Dear Seller. How did you come up with the idea for this book? Well, actually, it begins with Andrea and an article I'd read in, I think, in a Seattle paper about a couple who had written a real estate letter. And coincidentally, this was, was this about 10 years ago, maybe? or uh, Yeah, about nine years ago. Nine, nine years ago. And Andrea had started looking for a house, and she had written a few, <laughs> a few it letters. came to... out of my failures. <laughs> <laughs> to write a quality letter, I guess. But yeah, when I heard about this and she had had me proofread it and I thought it was brilliant, of course. You know, she's a professional writer and her husband is a music video director as well as an editor. Um, they talked about how much they love the neighborhood. I mean, we really gave them the hard sell on, you know, we're the perfect people for this house. We love the neighborhood. We're going to take care of it. Uh, you know, it, as as all the people in this book did, we put our heart and soul into a letter to strangers, which is really odd. And unfortunately for us, or maybe fortunately, because I, I think we landed where we were supposed to, none of the letters worked. And so this happened a ways back, but about three and a half years ago, we had we had started this company. We were moving to start this company. We were putting one book together, which is P22. It's a love story to L.A. as well about the mountain lion living in Griffith Park. And this is sort of another love story to Los Angeles. I started collecting letters from people we knew or colleagues of theirs to see what what was revealed through them. And, you know, with just the first couple of letters we received, we realized how personal and how special these letters were. Also, the fact that most of the people wanted to be anonymous, you knew they were revealing things about themselves, about their families, about their backgrounds, that someone isn't just willing to give up to you. And I think they do that because the expectation is only the, the seller on the other end is going to read it, or the realtor. They never thought that these would be public, but now there are. <laughs> now they are in this book. More than uh, 20 letters are here, and it's a very interesting exploration of Los Angeles. I mean, it takes us through the neighborhoods. It takes us through people's lives, um, also lives lost. It's uh, It's been a really amazing experience doing this book, and it's exciting to to share it with people, and it's just been out for a couple weeks, so we look forward to to hearing more stories. I, I believe you have a story as well. So. That's true, I do. <laughs> so you you mentioned two book projects. Uh, this is the is this your second book? The the P twenty two was book one. Yeah, the, we heard P twenty two. You mentioned the love letters to Los Angeles. Is love letters to Los Angeles a theme for what you guys are doing? 
Is that on? Is that intentional? Well, I guess so. I mean, we realized one of the things with We Heart P twenty two. It's the search for a home, a home where you can feel safe, where you have a community that supports you. Uh, and with We Heart P twenty two, yeah, this cougar and millions of people have rallied around this guy. And coincidentally, consciously or unconsciously, we developed this book at the same time. I think it speaks to our love for Los Angeles and the stories of Los Angeles. Absolutely. I mean, I think we, we're we both fortunate enough to be surrounded by a community uh, that's pretty remarkable. And uh, that's a, a, a literary and artistic, uh, you know, an incredible community in Los Angeles. And uh, I think we wanted to pay tribute to that. How many letters were you able to accumulate? I think I reviewed maybe 34, 35, and... What was your process in acquiring them? (laughs) (laughs) Well, over, it's it's funny to think that I think the last letter that came in was only three or four months ago. It It wasn't easy. I mean, perhaps it is now because people see what we intended to put out into the world, but I think people were suspicious. They're like, what are you going to do with the letter? Who is this going to go to? So first we went into our inner circle, and quite a few of our friends had actually written letters, but they con- Andrea included, as you may have noticed, her letters aren't even in here. So we went that level first. If we couldn't get them through that, we went through friends and friends of friends and colleagues. So they came from mostly through personal connect- collections connections. And we also posted on different boards to, you know, we put calls out. I reached out to realtors. Yeah, I think since we're a new company as well, uh, and we didn't have something to show them, just people didn't know what to expect. And we actually, sure. at the beginning, we didn't know what it was going to be. At first, it was just pictures and the letters and maybe just the basic info you'd find on a listing, you know. And as we talked to people, we realized that there was so much more to the story, what happened before they even wrote the letter, you know, that search for home and the market they're dealing with, personal circumstances, and also what happened after. Because not in every case, as you know, some people bid on houses, they get the house, it falls through for whatever reasons. It's not as tidy as, say, you see on these shows that air on HGTV. It's it's a process. There are some rare instances in this book where it was quite tidy out of luck or so many different factors were involved. Other times, you know, it took years. I mean, Andrea's still looking for that home too, or perhaps she's found it (laughs) and she needs to be writing a letter, but uh, it's different with each person. I think it's interesting. I don't think it's a mistake that so many of these letters came from people we had connections to because it's such an intimate correspondence that I think there had to be some trust. They had to trust that you know, that Tina wasn't going to do something strange with it, that this that it was going to be in a container that wasn't exploitive, that took care of people. And now it's funny, now that the book's there, of course, everywhere we go, you know, we're asking people if they wrote offer letters. And, and they're and willing igniting to share now. conversations with perfect strangers, you know, again and again. And I think what is surprising to both of us is we had no idea the kind of depth of this, you know, that it's because we were afraid at first talking about it, you know, we're in the midst of a housing crisis, that this would be a very limited audience of people who were buying homes. But the truth is, it's such a competitive housing market that you've got a ton of people who are writing letters to rent their apartments. Yeah, and we have a couple in here. Yeah, so... it's a good point. So there's a large population that actually is, is participating in this. And, you know, no matter where you live, there's a story to how you arrived there. And that's what Dear Seller is kind of mapping out is how did people, 
you know, what are these relationships we have with our homes? Yeah, it's really interesting. The first time we met, like I, when I was looking for a house of my own, I had to write a letter and there was no resource, you know, and it's kind of like, not even a resource, but like, how do you, like, where do you find out like how to write, like, where's a template or like a, you know, can you send me a script? <laughs> um, and this is such a logical idea, you know, like in terms of, yeah, it does, it is a specific subsection of the population, but everybody needs a place to live and it's getting increasingly more difficult to find a place to live. And this is just kind of a natural extension of that. What was your methodology for organizing it? So you have all these letters, like how did you decide, I'm asking for more of like from a creative point of view. I just like to understand people's process. You have all this information, now how do you assemble it? Yeah, it was, it started to come together pretty easily, just because there, maybe with this particular set, if we did a second edition, maybe the themes would be different. But there was a group that were interested in a particular type of architecture. There was another group that really, it was about family, like everything about the decision for their home revolved around family being in the area or the schools or um, their extended family also participated in the finding, the finding and evaluating of the homes. It wasn't like a singular decision by one person. We also, um, another group, there were some single people or single mothers who were represented in there as well. And, yeah, I think um, it was about what was driving their desire to buy that particular home that affected where they landed in the book. But we also have a section of people who, whose letters didn't work, and that is unrequited love. So in the end, yeah, they were grouped quite nicely, I think. Um, there were some that crossed over in both, both areas, but that was part of it. And also the architecture <laughs> made a huge difference in terms of the look of the book. So every level we tried to evaluate which was best. I think it really came together, too. I mean, you can say more about this than I can, but I think it really came together when you had that realization that you were telling a love story. <laughs> yeah, that because then it, then it became about kind of tracing the trajectory of a relationship. You know, where, A love story between a buyer and the house? Yeah. You know, you have kind of a—I think that even your table of contents, is it's like— a, It's like it. the process, yeah. Yeah, it's the, the process. Like, you have that love at first sight. You have the unrequited love. You have, you know, sometimes— The family. Meet the family. Meet the family. You have sometimes some hard breakups. Well, that's true. Before we had the number we had, I think when I did the first mock three years ago, there were perhaps just 10 letters, and those were instead organized by neighborhood. And it made sense then because we didn't have that many. And this was before the interviews. So definitely the interviews we had with, well, there's one seller represented, or a few of them actually were sellers, uh, impacted where they landed in the book too. If it were strictly by the letter, it may have been a different organization, but taking into account their full story, at least what they told of it, <laughs> is it helped determine where they landed in the book. Is buyer letter writing generally only for bidding war situations, or were there any instances where, like, for example, a house wasn't for sale, but someone wrote a letter to the owner saying, we would like to buy your house? Did you encounter that at all? Yeah, there were uh, there are a couple in the book before it even went on the market. Usually they had an inside scoop from a realtor or a friend of a friend, and they submitted a letter. But some letters we went after actually also had that scenario. This one woman um, had told us that her parents' home, they had sold it to somebody who just slipped a letter underneath their doorstep because they lived in Beverly Hills. We weren't able to get that one. 
But, and she said that actually happens quite a lot in that area, that people will just put something in the mailbox saying, I really want to be in your neighborhood. I think with these people too, perhaps price, <laughs> there's a, they, they have a lot of Price is, is not an issue. Yeah, I'm looking, I'm losing. <laughs> Do you know, there was a situation, remember when, we were, when you were working on the book, there was a situation where in my neighborhood, a letter was going around. The same letter was being placed, you know, under the, on the doorstep of a number, like anyone who had a mid-century yeah. house was getting this letter. And it was funny because it's, I mean, the question, it, it, it's such a competitive market, right? It's so insane that almost every piece of property that comes up for sale is a bidding war. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I remember, I mean, almost a decade ago when, when, you know, my family started looking for a house, you know, I remember the realtor saying like, you you know, what's one thing you can do because we found a house we loved. One thing you can do is just write about yourselves, just write about your love for this house and why they should sell it to you. And I thought, oh, I've got this nailed. Like, I'm a professional writer. I'm, I'm, I, that's what I do. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then lo and behold, you find out that no matter how compelling your letter is, no matter how much heart and soul you put into it, if somebody comes in with an all-cash offer that's $100,000 over what the asking price is, you've got to have some pretty powerful pros to go up against that. So, you know, the, you know at the state we are now, almost everyone has to be prepared to write one of these letters. Are there any situations where, or examples of people hiring a writer to draft a letter? Oh, yeah. We saw online, I think there are a few agencies that do that, that help them with that process. I I didn't see their letters, but I hope they see ours. I think sometimes realtors will do it for people as well. That's true. We've heard that as well, where they've done that. So realtors are moonlighting as writers as well now? (laughs) Well, they help shape that letter. Maybe more editors, but... So how successful is... Letter writing, like, are the odds in the buyer's favor to write one? I think it depends on the situation. Some, in the case of the book, they, they're a handful where they know their letter made a difference because after the sale was done, they said, you know, we, we appreciated you did this, this, and this. And it's not always just the personal details. It might be, hey, we offered, we know that uh, you won't have problems with a loan or that we'll cover these costs, like these little gestures. And in other, you know, in other cases, it is a personal, there's coincidences involved. I know there's this one letter that was written to the owners of home. It's actually the parents because the their son had passed away. And the name of the husband who was writing the letter, his name was Sean, and his daughter was named Cora, and they mentioned this in their letter. And coincidentally, the best friend of their son and his daughter were also named Sean and Cora. So when things like that happened, I, I don't think anybody could have beat out <laughs> his bid because of, you know, you, you think, well, this was meant to be. Those situations were, well, this is meant to be, and that was a sign of it. But it really depends. I, I know that some of the people in the book, a handful, were actually in the position where they were sellers before they moved into the homes represented here. And they didn't take, even though they liked certain letters, Money may have spoken louder than words in those cases, but in two of the instances, they regretted it because what those people had said or what they had thought the the people were offering, like no problems with the loan or whatnot, it turned out not to be the case. So, yeah, we can't know. We don't know how to measure that, but... Yeah, I think it's it's very case by case and subjective. But I think overall, what one of the things we started getting interested in was 
buying a home, first of all, having a place to live, period, is a necessity. Um, everyone needs somewhere to live. Everyone needs shelter. And then this is a highly, you know, this is the biggest financial transaction you're ever going to make. But at the same time, how much logic and how much emotion are going into this transaction? And I think that's an interesting question because there's all sorts, you, you know, on being on both sides of it, you walk into a place, sometimes you feel it like, oh, this, this is, is mine. this is my this is my home. This is where I'm supposed to be. And whether or not the financial stuff leads to that or whether you know this kind of mysticism to the process is that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, something like that where you have this coincidence between people where I know, you know, the house we rent right now, I have this insane connection to because I just feel connected to the family that was there before. This is not a logical thing. You no. know, it's it's not at all. And yet I'm ready to, you know, pull out the biggest loan I can imagine based on that alone. That's mm-hmm. it's very strange. It's interesting. The mysticism of the process. It's it's such like a nice encapsulating word. Was there a story in the book that made you realize this is a book? In other words, like, is there like a, one story that resonates above them all? Yeah, it's actually the first story in the book, and it's by Tom. And I don't know, did you, would you like us to read it? Yeah, or? do you want to pick a passage from it? Go. You want to read the first part and I'll read the letter? Sure. How about that? Because there's two. So here, I will hand off to Dre Dre. Oh, excuse me, Andrea. <laughs> and this is by Tom. And then I'll read the letter. My wife, Grace, was on this email list for new mothers called Booby Brigade. A member posted a message in January 2010 saying that she lived in in the East Hollywood area and the elderly woman who had lived in the house next door to them had just died. The Booby Brigade member was the mother of two-year-old twin boys and wanted to get a family with kids into the house instead of a developer who'd tear it down and turn it into an apartment building. She extended an offer to introduce anyone who was interested in the house to the woman's kids. We had just had our son, Ben, about a year earlier. Grace and I didn't really know at the time that we were in the market to buy a house. I had received some money after my father's death, but it was clearly not enough to buy a home in Los Angeles, so we hadn't even started thinking about what to do with it. But then we learned of this house. The woman on Booby Brigade introduced us to Deborah, the daughter of Catherine, who had bought the house in 1963 and raised her eight kids there. When she died in December, most of the children lived out of state, and having to deal with her house, which was in disrepair, was a hardship for them. When I walked through the house, I felt like I had died and gone to heaven. I had always dreamed of finding a real fixer-upper, a once beautiful house that had been neglected but not ruined, that could be restored to its original beauty. And this was that house. I wanted it badly, and though Grace couldn't see the beauty in it, I did, and she was willing to go along with me. But I felt the money I had to offer, $400,000, was not enough for a house of this size, two stories and three bedrooms, and possibly even insulting to suggest. I spoke with some other people who had knowledge of L.A. real estate, and they agreed that it wasn't nearly enough, that the siblings would have received and rejected offers like that. I brooded over it for a day, and then I figured I had nothing to lose. I just sat down and wrote a letter. And I should note, this is a 1921 home. December 2nd, 2009. Dear Deborah, it was a pleasure meeting you on Monday. Thank you so much for spending time with us and for letting us spend time in the house. This letter is sort of a cross between an offer and an explanation. Grace and I are neophytes to the world of Los Angeles real estate. 
I suspect any real estate professional would say, what I'm doing here is entirely the wrong thing to do. But somehow this seems like the best thing to do under the circumstances. I mentioned when we spoke that I received a sum of money on my father's death in October, and that this amount is what I have to work with when buying a house. I'm going to break all rules of bargaining here and just tell you outright that the amount I have is $400,000. I don't have much beyond that. The cost of repairing and restoring the house would come out of my earnings and personal savings. So as far as actual purchasing power goes, four hundred dollars is the range I'm in. This is, of course, much less than a real estate agent will tell you the house will sell for on the open market. And that is a powerful argument. But I feel I have a few good arguments on my side. Number one. You would not be required to spend the time and money necessary to bring the house up to code. Number two, you would not have to bear the expense of hiring a broker, and I'm prepared to pay all legal and title fees involved in the sale. In essence, you would not have to spend another cent on the house from this point forward. Number three, because I can pay cash, the transaction would happen very quickly. There would be no delays related to financing. Number four, as the saying goes, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. The real estate market is very unstable right now, and many houses do not sell for what agents believe is the market rate. It is in an agent's interest to inflate prices. Setting a high price is more important to him than how long it might take to sell a house. So while it is certainly possible you could get more than this for the house, it is also possible that it would be some time before that happens, and before you regain the money you would have spent bringing the house up to code. Number five. This has no actual value to you, of course. The value is only sentimental. But Grace, Ben, and I will live in the house, and we intend to treat it very well. Many, perhaps most people buying houses in Los Angeles right now are speculators, looking to turn a profit in one way or another. Houses suffer when speculators flip them, and so do the neighborhoods around them. Grace and I want a home, and we believe the house where you grew up would be a wonderful place for Ben to grow up. We want to restore the house to the way it once was, and in doing so, we will both respect the house and benefit the neighborhood around it. So the question is, are we even within the realm of consideration? I hope this letter can serve as a conversation starter for you and the other trustees. If the amount were agreeable, or at least close enough that you feel we can talk further about it, I could start looking for a real estate attorney and an escrow company and get to work on drafting an initial offer that would be legally valid. If, on the other hand, the amount is nowhere close to what you're willing to accept, I, of course, fully understand, and we can both turn our attention to other matters. Thanks again for all your time and kindness thus far. If you have any questions, feel free to call me or drop me an email anytime. Yours, Tom E. So do you want to know what happens? Yeah. (laughs) Of course. Oh, you want me to read it? I have an, an after story, too. Okay. I sent the letter by email to Deborah, and to my astonishment, 30 minutes later, I received an email titled, We Accept Your Offer. Deborah's oldest brother, Robert, was a lawyer in Arizona, and he immediately drove to L.A. to handle the transaction, which we agreed to do directly, without agents. Two days later, we were in escrow. That's my entire house-buying experience in my life, one week. There was 47 years' worth of clutter to be cleared out of the home and a great deal of damage just due to neglect to be repaired. Though they could have fixed it up and made more money putting it on the market, it would have taken time and effort they simply couldn't spare. This was also, now we know, the nadir of the post-bubble real estate market. Though at the time prices had been sliding for so long, it seemed like they would just keep sinking forever. In that context, the siblings really couldn't be sure that fixing up the house and putting it on the market would be profitable for them. 
At the escrow office, once the papers had been signed, Robert opened up a bit with me. He told me that they had indeed received other offers, some on the same day that I sent my letter, some for more money, but that he and his siblings had talked it over and decided they just liked me and Grace and Ben so much. It was the personal connection that made them decide to sell to us. He also said my offer to pay all the closing fees was important to them. I suspect the fact that $400,000 breaks evenly into eight pieces was attractive, and my paying the fees reinforced that. This was, I think, an unusual situation, and I'm not sure there are many broad lessons to be learned from it. I think the main lesson is just that courtesy is sometimes effective, especially when you're buying from someone for whom the house has sentimental value but little financial value. And sometimes you just get unbelievably lucky. It's interesting. I feel like that's like an outlier, though, you know, because a lot of the letters and a lot of the experiences that I've had in my little bubble and circle is that letters are necessary, but also the buyers, ultimately, their motivations are not always, you know, courtesy is is great, but some buyers just want, or some sellers just want the highest price, right? But what I found is that they're willing to be receptive to people that have families or kids Mm -hmm. and that want to live in the house as opposed to an investor letter, you know, or like we want to tear down or modify a big part of it. So um, this is a great sort of example, though, of like how magic can happen. Yeah. You know, there is actually a letter to a corporation, too. So it was interesting for our friend to even write a letter to a corporation, but he felt he needed to, and it's still, even though they were flippers who were were selling the house, um, he still feels that made a difference, that they, they put that extra effort in. Just a human one-to-one. Yeah, because yeah. someone's still behind that LLC, right? Of course. So, of course. Um, I mean, in his case, it's a very special case, and I think in the book we have a lot of architecturally significant homes, so that appreciation for architecture is in a few of the letters, too. So who, whoever would be living in a home like that anyway, perhaps appreciated it for the same reasons the new people would and that they'd want to preserve it. So I think um, in that respect, it's continuing the tradition of who lived there before, this love of architecture. Like, why move into a modernist home if you're not going to keep it or restore it to its uh, original design? What did you learn from doing this book? I've learned so much just from Tom's letter. I mean, I think what is astonishing is the power of connection. I'm always amazed by that, but mm-hmm. but especially in something as mundane and financial as a real estate sale, I mean, that you could have this personal connection between strangers that transcends the marketplace. Yeah. I mean, I think that's incredible. I think that's very optimistic. <laughs> um, but the idea that, again, reaching out in the, in like, in a letter form. You know, we're not in our, our day of, you know, social media and emails and everything, this this like tradition of letter writing that goes back to, you know, for centuries, like that we're still having people write letters no matter what form they, they arrive in. Mm-hmm. You know, they can arrive in your email box. But you're still having people write letters that reveal personal details about themselves to other people. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost, I mean, it's like fan letters, but to houses. Yeah. And it's also, it's just so beautiful to see how important this city is and certain neighborhoods are to people. You know, we, we hope to explore other cities because we feel these are, these only could have been written in L.A. I mean, they're talking about our neighborhoods. They're talking about our architecture. They're talking about our schools and its landmarks, which, yeah, we do in P22 as well. And... 
you know, I, I would really be interested in seeing more. You know, we discovered some neighborhoods we didn't even know about in the city. I think that was a wonderful thing, like Ta- La Hitera Village. La Tejera Village. I didn't know there was a La Tejera Village. Montecito Heights. Montecito Heights, I didn't know about. There were some other neighborhoods that are pockets in the valley or, uh, what is it, Sierra Madre. There's all these amazing places here and also going to to photograph these homes. You just get to see the city in a a new way because it is a very big city and there are so many different neighborhoods that people may never, perhaps like these driving apps have have gotten us into areas we otherwise wouldn't. I feel like the book is also a sort of interesting tour of the city in a very, very personal way. This is the ways of books for Los Angeles? (laughs) Without the traffic. Without the cut-throughs. Yeah, I don't know. And this is just a a particular pocket of them. And, you know, I, I felt a really, it was a big responsibility to, to take this on, I still feel very sensitive about how people will respond to their stories, but this is their truth. One story talks about how they left West Hollywood because they felt like they were discriminated against, and they found a happier place in Eagle Rock. Their kids got treated better. This is something you don't always get to talk about. For them to be able to reveal that in this book makes me very grateful that people share these these stories about their neighborhoods and their personal lives. I think there are a few deaths in the book. It's it's talking about life effects, life events that push them to this point to either sell or to buy their home. And yeah, it's a very it was a very emotional journey. It still is, I think, because these stories still continue. You know, the, the people in the book they tell me other things that have happened since this house got broken into twice after we had shot it. These these other people they talk. Tom actually was talking about how that that woman who used to live there haunts the home, but they're okay with it. So uh, these are still continuing. Um, and I think two of the people in the book, and I think it's revealed here, two of them have since left Los Angeles for the same reasons it's so hard to get here. It's just expensive. So it brings up a lot of factors about the city that we all have to contend with. And I think people outside of L.A. would be fascinated to learn about as well. Real stories about real people centered around the homes they live in. It's a great recipe. Lightning round. Uh, what's your favorite bookstore? <laughs> We're pretty partial to Skylight Books. <laughs> we both are, both of our first books. Had um, we had our lunch parties there. So. And what are you reading right now? Well, I was reading uh, this exhibition catalog, which is excellent, and I can't even pronounce the word right, but in English it's regeneration. Uh, They put this wonderful catalog out uh, regarding um, Chicano activism dating as far back as the 1900s when these uh, two brothers, Flores Magnon, I think are, that they had started this um, anarchist newspaper, first in Mexico City and then published here in L.A., and there's an exhibit that's following their history as well as two iterations after at the Vincent Price Museum, and it's it's excellent. Limited edition, just 500 copies, but you can get it there at the museum. Um, and didn't they print it on something really special? Too? Oh, yeah, it was like, printed by the original print house in Mexico City that had done the first issue of the newspaper, and they had to smuggle it into the States because it has anarchist teachings in it. And it's beautiful. It's a large large, narrow book printed on. It's an interesting paper. Like a thin, almost newsprint. Yeah, but I strongly recommend the book. The essays are excellent, and the exhibit is excellent, and I think it's there through February. 
We're clearly into uh, the materials that <laughs> go into books. It all goes into it. It's all part of the process. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, I just finished reading a novel for a book club I'm in. That's uh, It's by an L.A. author. She's fantastic. It's called The Deeper the Water, the Uglier the Fish. Um, it's great. Author's name? I wish I could remember. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, what are you watching right now? What are we watching? There are things we want to watch. We what just do you dis- want to we watch? just had a huge discussion of all the movies we haven't we, seen this I was, year. On the way here, I was saying we, I really want to go see Widows, and it's a matter of finding time to see it. Yeah, the truth is, you know, being a, a small, uh, basically like five person publishing collective and trying to put out two books is um, pretty t- in your spare time when you're not freelance working. <laughs> it doesn't leave a lot yeah. of time I, for oh, other. Wait. You know, actually, can I recommend a couple books? Do it. Sure. Andre has two books out. Well, I think that you. one must need <laughs> if for any LA native or someone coming to town. She has the LA cocktails book out. Is it Spirits? Spirits in the City of Angels. It's, it's one of the sexiest books, honestly, you'll ever see. Just it has no binding. It's exposed binding. It's beautiful and. Um, it is also a wonderful exploration of the city bars, but not just for the liquor, but the history of the bars, and also 500 Hidden Secrets of Los Angeles that is also out. And um, so I, those those are, you What's, should read always. Why, share, thank you, Tina. Share, <laughs> share one of those secrets. What's the secret of Los Angeles? Oh, that? well, there are, t- there are places or things or, or things to go to. And in fact, I'm in the process of uh, updating it right now. Um, one of my favorites, which I'm updating right now because they just moved on, is the Bob Baker Marionette Theater. I don't know if you've been. Of course. It's pretty yeah. fantastic. Uh, if you have kids, if you don't have kids, it's great. Um, and they, you know, I mean, talking to L.A. real estate, they have a big condo complex that's going on to the site where they've been for, I don't know, five decades. I'm, I'm not even sure. But anyway, so they uh, are having to move on from that. But that's that's one of those places where I feel like I mean, I think Los Angeles is so big, like Tina was saying, and this, what Dear Seller provides is kind of a way to drop in, you know, to a particular person's story there and like on a microcosmic level to see the city Mm -hmm. in a different way. And it's funny because, you know, I write a lot of guidebooks about Los Angeles. And one of the things I try to be very conscious of, and it's so hard, is like, how do we get past the stereotypes and the tropes of Los Angeles and like this idea that it's all palm trees and, you know, Silver Lake and that, that's, you know, that's Palm like, trees and Silver Lake. That's <laughs> well, a, you that's both a great know that because you both live in <laughs> palm trees, Silver Lake. It's, it's just that that's the kind of, that's our export in some ways. That's what a lot of people see. Like, you know, we were talking earlier about the New York Times. Like when the New York Times comes and writes about L.A., like that's often what you get. New Yorkers in Silver Lake, essentially. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, what what I think is really wonderful are all the places where Angelinos are telling their own stories, you know, and we're getting to hear those perspectives. And, and that's really what Tina and I are up to with Narrated Objects is trying to figure out Stories we want to hear, you know, first of all, but how, also how to, I don't know, how to facilitate that, how to facilitate these kind of personal connections and personal stories about place, about a very yeah. particular place that often is is mis, you know, mishandled. Yeah, right? and I think it's because— Misunderstood. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think it's also because not everyone is giving a voice in 
you know, in popular media or even independent media. So we tried both with P22, that we hired P22, but in this one, these aren't coming. There are a couple professional writers here. And same with we hired P22. There are also professional uh, illustrators and animators. But along with them are, you know, kids who are drawing. And here, these are also not writers, but they're everyday people who have a story to tell. And we're just trying to do our best to capture that and to, yeah, provide a venue for them to continue to, to share their work and their stories about Los Angeles and their lives. What's your next project? Do you have anything teed up? We do, actually. Um, our next project, we're going to do a cookbook, uh, a Filipino cookbook, actually. Um, so it's going to be the recipes along with stories of being raised in Los Angeles in the Filipino community. And we are partnering with Search to Involve Filipino Americans, which is based out of Hi-Fi, if you know, historic Filipino town. And we're going to work with them to pull some of, again, you know, professional chefs. They have quite a few on their board, like the people from um, Park's Finest and from Mamsur and a few other places. And along with them, we're going to try to also capture homestyle recipes and stories. So we have a, a large community represented in the book. And hopefully there'll be some fun events around that. We hope to have workshops at different places and maybe have a, when we do the testing of the recipes, maybe that'll be a fundraiser that people can come to. And we have a friend who has a jeepney. Have you, do you know a jeepney, the the jeeps that are in the Philippines? They were actually left over from World War II, I guess. And people have made them their own. They're decorated. You should come on a tour of one. It's excellent. Our friend, uh, they brought it here from the Philippines, I think, uh, Rihanna Strada, who is with Public Public Matters, and we're hoping to do something with them, too. The book is Dear Seller. Tina and Andrea, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank it's been you. Great. You've been listening to Book Stories. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to shows. Book Stories is an alternate Thursdays production. Special thanks to Savannah Wright for production assistance. I'm Vic Singh. Thanks for listening.